He rules the world with truth and grace. That line comes from joy to the world. He rules the truth, the world with truth and grace. Who rules the world with truth, truth and grace? It's Jesus. Jesus being king who reigns and rules is a theme that's found in a lot of Christmas hymns. I'll give you a couple more examples. O come, all ye faithful. O come, all ye faithful to Bethlehem. Why? To behold the king of angels. Or hark the herald angels sing. What are those herald angels singing about? Glory to the newborn king. Christmas is about the birth of the king. The king was promised to come in the Old Testament. There are so many prophecies about a great king. He would be from David's line. He would bring light to those who sit in darkness. He will bring righteousness and justice and peace. His kingdom will be an eternal kingdom. I don't think it's possible to overstate the importance of this great eternal king. But another thing that almost all the Christmas carols point out is the strange scene into which this king was born. A stable is not the normal place to give birth for any human being, much less the great king. Consider these opening lines. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Didn't even have a crib for a bed. Or, once in royal David's city stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. Jesus being born in a barn instead of even just an ordinary house is so strange. In fact, for me, this aspect of the Christmas story is a little hard to believe. When we read the Bible, we shouldn't think the people about whom we read are so completely different from us. There's no indication that the people of Bethlehem were especially cruel and heartless that they would all turn away a pregnant woman who among us, no matter how poor the pregnant woman might be, wouldn't gladly give up our room or even the whole house if need be. Jesus being born in a stable, it seems to me, was not because of any meanness of the people of Bethlehem or a matter of chance. God wanted his son to be born there. And he created the inescapable circumstances so that it came to pass. And the net result is that God's son, the long-expected Savior, was born in conditions that were much worse than you or I were born into. Even if you were just born in a house, you were born into relative luxury compared to God's Son. There wasn't even a crib to lay down his sweet head. Why did God choose 
for his son to be born in such lowly circumstances. One thing that God may have been indicating is that all the things to which we look for happiness and fulfillment are not where happiness and fulfillment are really to be found. We so easily believe that if we only had some more riches, some more luxuries, then we'd be happy. Or if only we had some more prestige. Or even for those of a more sentimental nature, if only I had that Norman Rockwell Christmas, then my heart would be full. No, happiness and fulfillment must be satisfied by something much higher than any created earthly thing. That thirst can only be quenched by a relationship with the uncreated creator. And indeed, to bring about a happy relationship with that creator is the very reason why the great king came in the first place. And we see that this great king, just as at his birth, continues to be a strange king. He was not found in any fancy palaces. He didn't have a whole bunch of servants, so he wouldn't have to work anymore or have to worry about anything anymore. Just the opposite. He served instead of being served, and his service continued all the way to the end. He didn't sit upon a big, fancy throne. Instead, he was nailed through his hands and his feet to an instrument of torture and death. On the cross, the king suffered in our place for the sins that we have committed. With all our sins, God didn't just say, okay, I see that you sinned, well, who cares? Forget about it. No big deal. No, the great king came to set things right, not to ignore wrongs. He came to bring about righteousness and justice. And so he suffered the punishment that was due for the sins that we have committed. By the high and holy sacrifice of this king, we have peace with God. The king has brought about righteousness and justice, atonement and peace, reconciling sinners to God by his death and resurrection. And the work of Jesus the king is not over, however. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, reigning and ruling there over all things, but especially his spiritual kingdom. The way that Jesus reigns and rules in his spiritual kingdom is by sending out his gospel, which means good news, so that sinners may repent and believe in the king, so that having been justified by faith, we may have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This message that gets sent out is similar to what the angel did on Christmas night when the angel was sent by God to speak to the poor, lowly shepherds. That angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you glad tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The angel tells the shepherds that the great king has been born, and Christ the Lord will save you. In like manner, the gospel goes out in our day. And just as it was with the angel and the shepherds, not everyone hears it. The shepherds heard it, others did not. Likewise, not everyone is in a church tonight. And even though people might hear about the great king, not everyone believes it. Whether a person believes or does not believe does not depend on their attendance or lack of attendance. Whether a person believes or does not believe is dependent upon the reigning and ruling of the King at the right hand of God the Father. When and where it pleases Him, the Holy Spirit creates faith in those who hear the Gospel. They believe in the King. And as John says, those who believe in Jesus' name are children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Children of God. This is all to say that Jesus is reigning and ruling right now as king at the right hand of God the Father is very special. If you believe in this king, if you turn away from your sins and hate them, if you trust that Jesus the King is the one who saves you, this is God's doing, and it is marvelous. But how marvelous it is is only apparent to the eyes of faith. You can't see it otherwise. You can only see it by faith, how marvelous it is. He rules and reigns not in some outward way, but by His Word and the Holy Spirit, in the hearts of people who hear and are changed. He converts. He brings people out of darkness into the light. Brings people out of the fear of God's punishment to forgiveness and being confident before God because of what Jesus the King has done. Although Jesus reigns and rules as king in a hidden way right now, it will not always be that way. There is more to come with Jesus' kingdom. He isn't done as he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He will come again. He will come again with power and great glory because he needs to bring his reigning and ruling to completion. He will come again on the last day to judge the living and the dead. And on, at that hour when the trumpet sounds, the dead will be raised and he will give eternal life to all believers in Christ. Although this day will be tremendous and awesome, some might say dreadful, it is a continuation of all that this king has been doing ever since the beginning. He keeps doing the same things. When he comes on the last day, he will accomplish yet more righteousness, yet more justice, yet more peace. 
Jesus will accomplish yet more of the kinds of things that we read about him doing in the Gospels. Jesus went about casting out demons and healing diseases and giving sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and raising the dead and so on and so forth. Jesus was working to bring to nothing anything that was evil or sad or harmful or painful or mean and so on. These will be brought to nothing once and for all on that great and final day because the king will see to it. Thus we have a real parting of the ways depending on whether you believe in this king or not. What do we say about all these evils? And they're everywhere. They're so easy to find. They're so easy to Google. They're so easy to do. We have evils on the outside and we have evils on the inside. And even if we do everything relatively well, keep our hands somewhat clean from all the evils all around us, time marches on and our bodies get old and things aren't as fun as they used to be. I think I could come up with a pretty long list and I don't think we'd have to work too hard to do it. The parting of ways is with the philosophers in our midst. The philosophers throw up their hands and say, oh, that's too bad, that's just life, that's how life is, you better get used to it because there's no changing it. To which a believer in Christ should say, the Lord rebuke you. There is a king, God's son. Things are not just going to go on the way they always have been. There's nothing that is evil that is going to endure. Whatever is evil is doomed. The king is going to see to it. A great change is in store for everyone and for everything. And this is good news. It's strange good news though. Little intense. It's not perfectly harmless. Certainly not optional. It's strange good news in a way because the evil that the king has come to destroy is surely also found in us. He's going to destroy that evil too. You can't keep holding on to that evil. The king won't allow it. The king is on the march. The king is going to be victorious. As our epistle reading said, he is going to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Being purified is often not a very pleasant experience for the thing or the one who is being purified. This is where I think it is important to keep in mind who is doing the purifying. Is God, who is purifying, good or evil? Is God for us or against us? And here we must simply speak about the meaning of Christmas. God is for us. What more proof do we need? than that he sent his son to be king, being born in a barn. In addition to all the strange things that I've been pointing out tonight, God's strange love for us sinners, that he gave up his dearest treasure, 
It is certainly not the least. So if it is good news, even that we should be purified, that the darkness in us that we love by nature should be replaced by the light, if that's good, then what else do we have to worry about or complain about? Anything that is evil is doomed. Anything that is evil is so utterly temporary. God's kingdom, on the other hand, is eternal. God's kingdom is unstoppable. The king has been born for you. Please stand. Behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord.